The Chicago metropolitan area is home to five adult heart transplant centers, equal to Philadelphia, for the most in one city in the United States. Some say it's a tribute to the determination of Chicago's hospitals to collectively become a national leader in heart transplantation. But others believe it's a serious strategic mistake. What are the key policy questions at hand here? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment focused on health care policy. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon, and our guest is Dr. Valuvan Jivanandam, Professor of Surgery at the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine and Chief of Cardiothoracic Surgery at the University of Chicago Medical Center. Welcome, Dr. Jivanandam. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Hill. It's my pleasure to be here on your program. We are discussing the potential pitfalls of maintaining several heart transplant centers in one city. Why is this a pitfall? There have been many studies, the latest one that's come out of Johns Hopkins, that shows that with most surgical programs, volume really does matter. You know, size matters in terms of getting better results. So the data suggests that programs that do about 20 transplants and above have better results than programs that do 10 transplants and less. And therefore, I think programs should be only open if they can do a certain amount of transplants to give the best patient care. Are there regulations that guide this? Well, there are Medicare regulations. Now, Medicare originally to would credential centers, and to credential a center, you had to do 12 transplants over a two-year period and have two-year results. So it took a three years to get Medicare certification. Now, that was in the past. And after much lobbying from many other programs, those requirements decreased to doing 10 transplants per year with one-year results. Now, the problem is that many programs would get Medicare certification and then let their programs decrease in terms of volume, and Medicare would never come back and audit them and remove programs. So once you got Medicare credentialing, you never got decredentialed. I think that there have been several transplant programs in the country that have been caught with bad publicity in situations where they were not doing transplants that they should have been doing. And therefore, Medicare is now joining up forces with JCO, our auditing programs, and going over their results every couple of years. And if they do less than 10 transplants per year, they are now decertifying programs. And under that threat, programs are voluntarily taking themselves off transplant certification because they'd rather do that as opposed to being audited. Well, let's talk about the results. In general surgery, we are always told that if you don't do a certain number of Whipples a year or a certain number of abdominal perineal resections a year, you lose the technical ability to get good results. When you talk about the less than optimal results in centers that do not do a lot of transplants, are we talking about specifically with regard to the surgical team or the overall transplant team? I think transplant is a technical operation, but it's much more of an intellectual operation. One needs to decide what is a good donor, what's a good recipient. And in addition to the surgeon, there is an entire team that needs to be facile with transplant. That team would include cardiologists, pathologists to read the biopsies, infectious disease experts, critical care experts, nephrologists or renal experts. So 
there needs to be a large infrastructure that is established to make a good heart transplant team or any transplant team. Well, how did Chicago and Philadelphia get so many heart transplant programs to begin with? When I was in Philadelphia, I was director of the Temple program. We did about 100 transplants a year. We were the largest program in the country. And in the city of Philadelphia, the year before I left, we did 180 transplants just in the city of Philadelphia. That was a tremendous amount of transplants. There was a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of focus on transplants. I mean, after I left, you know, Temple's program has decreased their volume significantly. And even though they have five programs now, they don't do nearly the volume that we used to do many years ago. Why do you think that is? Are are we treating these patients medically more efficiently? Yeah, I think, again, since the 90s or the late 90s when I was there, we now have beta blockers that have been used more for patients. We have biventricular pacing. But I also think that there's other policy decisions that have made transplant a lot less of an option. In the 90s, we did not have ventricular assist devices. And so if a patient didn't get transplanted, you know, their only other choice was death. And so we were very aggressive by transplanting patients. Now you have mechanical assist devices, some of which can actually be placed in. And for patients who are not great transplant candidates, you can put a device in and not get them transplanted. I think the other policy decision, though, is that Medicare is auditing all these programs. And because you now get audited, unless you have a one-year survival of greater than 85%, you are at risk of losing your accreditation. If you have just joined us, you are listening to a special segment focused on healthcare policy on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guest is Dr. Valuvan Jivanandam. Professor of Surgery at the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine and Chief of Cardiothoracic Surgery at the University of Chicago Medical Center. We're discussing the potential pitfalls of maintaining several heart transplant centers in one city. Well, doctor, do the transplant centers in a city like Chicago, where you are, or Philadelphia, do they talk to each other? Probably more at national meetings than we do on a regular basis within the city that we're all based in. So we don't really talk to each other on an ongoing basis, and honestly, it's pretty competitive. Why would the hospitals who do not do a great number of heart transplants want to continue their program? Because transplant is a major draw to get patients uh, to come in who are in heart failure, and heart failure can be potentially profitable for institutions, especially if people need to have diagnostic tests performed, Perhaps a correctable lesion can be discovered and the patient will end up getting catheterization or stent or maybe even surgery. And also because there are so many regular heart surgery programs, programs need to distinguish themselves and take care of the heart failure patient is certainly a way to do that. Dr. John Conti, Director of Heart Transplantation at Johns Hopkins, says Chicago may have the finest group of transplant surgeons of any city in the world. With this in mind, where's the holdup? When I was talking to you earlier, it wasn't just the surgeons, right? It's the whole team. And it's the policies of Medicare looking at mortality. So let's say you have a program that does less than 10 transplants or does 10 transplants and it's on the cusp. If they lose one patient in the first year, that's a 90% survival and they're okay. They lose two people, that's an 80% survival, but they're now going to be at the cusp of not getting Medicare approval. 
So they're going to be very, very selective on what they do. And being selective means that you're not going to take a patient who may be at slightly higher risk. And I'll give you an example. Let's say you have a patient who is almost certainly going to die without transplant. So for him, the chance of death is, you know, 100%. Now, let's say you can, do, you can operate on him and transplant him, and his chance of survival is 60%, okay? So from his point of view, that's a positive 60% in terms of survival, However, if Medicare mandates that you have a 90% one-year survival, from a program point of view, that's a minus 30%. So programs who have, who are large programs, can take on those type of risks. Programs that are smaller programs can take on those risks, and they will not transplant those patients. Now, unfortunately, what happens is that those people are not referred to other programs. They're kept within their program, and because they're not referred out, they won't get the treatment that they really should have. So the more programs you get, you have in a perverse way will actually decrease the number of total transplants that are done in a region. Is this an unrealistic number and an unrealistic outcome that Medicare and other regulatory organizations are demanding? No, I don't think it's unrealistic at all. I think it's very realistic in that it's a two-edged sword. I mean, you want to make sure that programs maintain a certain quality and standard, and that's very important. But on the other hand, you're taking away the creativity and the aggressiveness of people in terms of who they can actually help. So it's a double-edged sword. I mean, you almost need to have a separate group of patients, let's say that are on an alternative list, who may be higher risk patients, and maybe you don't give them the first run of the very, very good donors, but you give them donors that other people have maybe turned down. And maybe that is a different mechanism to help more people with transplants. Well, how do you think we can solve this problem? Well, I think if you look at the programs that do a lot of patients, such as in New York, you have Columbia Presbyterian, in Los Angeles, you have UCLA. I mean, those are two big programs in very big cities, and in those cities, there's one dominant program and not really other programs or other programs that are kind of either close the door or do 20 transplants a year. And when you have a dominant program in cities, you could actually, I think, give very good care because you can be aggressive. So I think having too many programs, it's not going to hurt patient outcomes on paper because obviously everybody's going to protect their statistics. What it's going to affect is the number of people who can actually get transplanted because everybody's going to become more conservative. Well, I think that that's very true. I remember some years ago in Chicago, not with respect to heart transplants, but with respect to cardiac surgery, there was a particular cardiac surgeon who was absolutely superb, and he would get all the patients who would have failed with other surgeons. Now, his statistics obviously were not as good as other surgeons, and initially it was thought that, well, his results weren't as good, so uh, people shouldn't refer to them, until it was realized that the other surgeons were not taking these hard cases and this surgeon just getting all the very difficult ones. Well, someone like yourself, who is certainly a very, very well-known, respected surgeon, how do you keep from getting the very, very difficult cases where you could not expect your outcome to be as good as someone who is less complicated? I take different approach to it. We end up, you know, we do have to do the very difficult case with essentially a low mor morbidity and mortality. Now, obviously, you try to risk adjust it as much as possible, but nothing ever really gets truly risk adjusted. 
if you have a patient that's turned down by two or three other people, right there should be a big added risk that isn't really ever adjusted for. I think it's a very difficult thing. I mean, how do you adjust for, you don't know why the other people have turned them down. A lot of it is because, you know, patient may be just malnourished, may have poor protoplasm. I mean, there are a lot of different risk factors that go into a mortality adjustment. I want to thank our guests, Dr. Valuva and Jivanandam. We've been discussing the potential pitfalls of maintaining several heart transplant centers in one city. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to a special segment, Focus on Healthcare Policy on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you for listening.